Welcome to episode eight of Calling All Communicators, a podcast where industry professionals and academics discuss all things communication. I'm Zach. And I'm Cindy. And today, our episode is featuring one of my best friends, a person who's in my PhD program with me. She just got a job, actually, for the fall, and we're going to be joined by Amanda Lilly today. Um, what did you think about our conversation with Amanda, Mom? It was eye-opening for me. Um, Amanda studies dating apps and communication on dating apps. And I've been married 28 years. So I've been out of this for a long time. And boy, have things changed. Um, and not necessarily for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really enlightening for me to hear about her studies and um you know, just like I said, how things have changed is just mind blowing. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Um, even in just in like the last 10 years, how much has changed is pretty, pretty ridiculous. Because, you know, like 10 years ago, you know, meeting somebody online was seen as pretty taboo. Um, but now that's like the complete norm, I would say, you know, possibly right. even the majority of people are meeting each other online. So certainly in an, a really, really big shift in like people's relations with each other. So I think that that's really interesting. Um, and we kind of, you know, talked about how those messages have kind of changed over the years and um, what some of the different messages people receive these days are. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I loved uh, Amanda's tips at the end about how people can p- potentially better use these dating apps. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, She's done a lot of studying on this. Kudos to her because I think this is, like you said, so many people are using these dating apps that I think it's really important to learn more about them and how to better utilize them. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Because these aren't going to become less popular, I would imagine, right? No. Uh, We're just leading down a road towards more and more internet and online presence. So we need to really kind of understand how people are actually using these things, right? It doesn't matter like if you think that it's good or not, they should be studied because of how popular they are, right? Absolutely. And it's really important to see how people are actually meeting each other these days, right? So Yes. And I think Amanda's work can actually help people um, keep people safer too. And I think that's so important. Yes, that's a good point as well. Um, Obviously, online dating is not extremely safe, considering when you meet somebody from online dating, it's essentially a stranger. Um, So yeah, there's, there's so many, so many things to consider. Yeah. But I I love this episode. I I think um, even as an old married woman, (laughs) I got a lot out of it. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of really interesting discussion. And for those of you who might be, you know, maybe a little bit like my mom and haven't, you know, been around during the uh, online dating scene, this might be a really interesting episode for you if you don't know that much about it. Absolutely. Well, let's go on and listen to Amanda. Sounds good. All right. Please enjoy our episode featuring Amanda Lilly. Today, we have Amanda Lilly joining us. She earned her bachelor's in communication from the Mississippi University for Women in 2009. From there, she had uh, experience working in radio, HR, sales, and early childhood education. However, she wanted to go back 
and get her master's in communication from the University of St. Louis, uh, Missouri, or University of Missouri, Missouri St. Louis. Louis. Oh, yeah. man, man, oh, man. I, <laughs> I always forget it sometimes on these on these colleges, which way they go. Um, but after getting her master's, she found out that she actually really disliked studying Facebook and through a very weird occurrence uh, with her best friend, decided that she wanted to study sexual communication, specifically how people use initiation messages that contain sexual content in the online dating context. She's really fascinated by these types of messages and loves the computer-mediated interpersonal context. She hopes to continue this research um, as she moves further in her career. She is currently a fourth-year doctoral candidate in the Brian Lamb School of Communication at Purdue University and recently accepted an assistant professor position at Utah State University, which she'll be starting in August. Thanks for joining us, Amanda. Thank you for having me. Hey, Amanda. Oh, Glad sorry, you're here. Mom. That's all right. We're good. <laughs> And besides Amanda, you know, being a very cool academic and all, she's also an office mate of mine and a very good friend. Uh, she's also an accomplished runner, run multiple marathons, power lifter too. I mean, man, what can't this woman do? So it's nice to have you on. I'm impressed. Thanks so much for being here. <laughs> all right. So kind of the first thing we start with uh, in general on the podcast is we kind of ask you what got you interested in communication. So like, when do you think you got interested in communication? Was it like right off the rip, like right out of the womb that you were interested in communication? When, when was it? I can tell you exactly when it was. Okay. Um, I was in 11th grade and I needed a job. So one of my teachers at high school got me working for the Mississippi Gulf Coast Coliseum. And so I went there and I started running the AV and doing all the audio visual for the Coliseum. And I got promoted through there and I eventually was running the jumbotron and up in like the sound booth and handling all that stuff as a junior in high school. And it paid really well. <laughs> and I really liked it because I got to go to like all the concerts and events I wanted to for free and like have the best seat in the house, get to meet the people. And I was like, well, can I turn this into a job? And they're like, well, yeah, you just have to go to college and get a communication degree. And I was like, okay. And so I went and then when I got there, I realized it's not just all audiovisual. One of the great things about the Mississippi University for Women bachelor degree is what they do, they do what they call the umbrella of communication. So you get some of the more technical audiovisual stuff I wrote for the school paper, but then you also get introduced to comm theories. And I remember my very first comm theory class, I just was like, oh my gosh, this is so fascinating, fascinating and I love it. And so I've just been kind of digging it since then. So not quite the womb, but, but pretty early. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I, I find it interesting. You said that you went to your undergrad and you realized that it wasn't all audiovisual. You know, that, yeah. um, did you explore other avenues of communication while you were there? I did. I, um, I worked for our campus radio station for two of my four years there. And at the same time, I also got an internship at the local radio station. And I was like, oh, I really like doing radios. It's pretty cool. You get like free hamburgers and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> poor college kids. <laughs> free food. I'll, I'll do it forever. <sighs> and so while I love communication theory, I was like, all right, well, I can see how I can work in radio. Da, 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 and I can do that and then kind of go on to get my, my graduate degrees and then go back to your professor. Because about my, my sophomore year in college, I realized I wanted to be a comm professor. And so I went and worked in radio for two or three years and this was right in the like turning point of radio and so 
I was a station manager and I had an overnight rock shift on our like <laughs> rock station. It was great. My radio name was Charlie. <laughs> um, they came in and they automated our station. Mm-hmm. They let everyone but two people go. And I was like, all right, this kind of sucks. I don't want to <laughs> keep doing this. And so that's why I did some some different things with like HR and sales and then early childhood education. And I'd always been trying to figure out a way back to grad school. And I just wasn't settled in one place long enough to do it. And so the second I was in a place for more than a year and a half, I, I went back and went to, to UMSL. You can call it UMSL. UMSL, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That rolls off the tongue too, by the UMSL. way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. It's, it's weird because it, the, the letters are U-M-S-L. And so people who don't know like the, the in-group speak, like, oh, I, I was down in St. Louis and I saw U-M-S-L. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you mean UMSL. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so so when you got in your master's program, did you have like a clear vision of what you wanted to research or study or learn about? Or did you just kind of go in like, hey, I like communication. I just kind of want to see what's happening. Well, when I first was interviewing to get into that program and be a, a TA, I really wanted to do something with with children. And I was telling my my faculty there who were all super great. And they're like, yeah, higher B is not gonna let you anywhere near children, <laughs> especially not foster children with like um, emotional, um, emotional trauma, mm-hmm. especially a master's student. I was like, okay, so I switched. And I would never recommend this to anyone else ever. But in my very first methods class, in my very first semester, my master's program, I was like, all right, I developed what I'm doing for my thesis. This is it. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wanted to do something with like social media because I was interested in that too. And so I, my thesis is about how a person's personality and their communication characteristics will influence how they communicate through Facebook. And in my third semester, I realized I really hate researching Facebook. It's awful. It's not fun. And, but I was like, ah, I'm already this far into it. Kind of got to finish it up. Yep. And so that's, that's when I figured out Facebook and, and that kind of stuff. But I knew I liked the computer mediated aspect of it. Cause that's so ubiquitous in every person's life now is using social media or a phone, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Yeah, for sure. And one thing I kind of want to mention uh, quick for our listeners, Amanda uh, talked about the IRB, which stands for the institutional review board, which for those of you who don't necessarily know, they, they're basically trying to protect uh, participants and researchers ethically, okay? So oftentimes it's very difficult to get research protocols passed um, to actually speak with or interview or give surveys to somewhat vulnerable populations. So it could be, say, prisoners or children or um, any number of different people like that, um, just to give you a little bit of, of context about that. And the IRB is now the bane of my existence. <laughs> the IRB is uh, definitely the bane of Amanda's existence. <laughs> um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because that can get us a little bit into your research too. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so now I have switched from studying Facebook to online dating, specifically sexual communication, online dating, and initiation messages. And so oftentimes I want to ask participants about how they feel about a certain initiation messages that contain sexual content, but the IRB really doesn't like it um, when you're going to expose your participants to an unsolicited explicit image, even though that's something they would ex- commonly experience in, in the wild, the real world, or if you have some spicy, sexy language in your like um, 
not ex my examples because like uh, right now for my dissertation i'm finishing it up hopefully soon. <laughs> yep. um i'm building a scale and some of the scale i want to test people and how they feel about these different types of messages because i've actually developed a typology of all the different types of messages through focus groups and i'm figuring out how i can expose participants to a humorous pick initiation message that has some, some soft language is kind of explicit <laughs> and not have the IRB get upset. I'm, I'm navigating how to do that right now because they often do not like my projects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the IRB, um, yeah, also anything like sexual or anything about violence, the, mm -hmm. the IRB is also very, um, very weary of approving those projects. I'll say that. Yes, yeah. yes. Because I had an idea for another project I wanted to do just in my doctoral program where I wanted to use social cognitive theory and cultivation theory to see how easy access free pornography on the internet is changing how couples new and established communicate about their sex lives and mm -hmm. activities they'd like to do in their their sex lives and the way I was going to do this was first do a content analysis and I remember I went up to <laughs> our grad director who's wonderful and I was like all right so I have an idea for a research project. Me, Naomi, and I think I brought you in on that project. I was gonna bring you in on that project too. So I don't have a, a, a set of like male eyes. Yeah. And I was like, we're gonna watch like 60 hours of porn <laughs> and content analysis. And he was just walking by my office that day and he stops and puts his head in his hands. Like, oh, no. And I'm like, no, 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 hear me out. And I explain it to him. He's like, oh, oh yeah. He's like, no, that'd be super interesting. He's like, yeah, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> not gonna happen because i was gonna like do a content analysis with um the other grad research would be naomi and then and then zach and we we're gonna watch 30 hours and we probably wouldn't have actually had to watch that much till we hit saturation i'm betting we yeah. probably would have had to watch like 12 or so mm -hmm. but like a lot of research says that's a good amount um so we're gonna do 30 hours of media made for the male gaze and that's g-a-z-e some yep. people get very confused when I say that versus the women gate versus 30 hours of the women's gaze and see how the acts that happen in those are different. And then I was going to interview couples and be like, oh, well, do you watch these couples that watch that type of media? And we're like, oh, so what have you seen? How's it influenced your life? Da, 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 and kind of do something and then do a survey too and see how social cognitive theory and cultivation theory based on this media could be impacting sexual fulfillment because we've seen now is access to pornography and higher increase in pornography use are increasing sexual satisfaction in real couples is decreasing and so i'm fascinated by that yeah and it's really important research to be doing right um unfortunately though the rb hates it so yeah, yeah like doing things like um yeah exposing people to pornography or anything like that is kind of a big no-no so yeah, it's really difficult to do this type of research, even though it's really important, which is a big problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm curious, Amanda, has this um, slowed the pace of your um, your PhD program? Very much so. I figured because so. um, this past summer, I was actually trying to get all my focus groups done, so that way I could already have my study three data collected at this point, and it was such a fight to get my project up and rolling because I was doing focus groups and we're talking about 
initiation messages that contain sexual content, the different types that come up. And IRB didn't want me to do that with face-to-face focus groups. Ugh. It had to be on Zoom. And it had to be with no with no with no faces. It had to be with anonymous pseudonyms. So yeah, you had no idea, you know, who was talking. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and so that's slowed it down a little bit. And then other times when I've thought of an idea I'd like to do just as like a side project, I've just been straight up told like, no, no, we're not gonna do that. Oh, <laughs> I'm man. hoping hoping once I am a faculty member at a or have tenure it might get a little bit better especially if I could maybe serve on an IRB board (laughs) yeah that would. you might be able to make some changes that will help researchers yeah because they're because they worried about like social stigmatization of my participants if they come in they're like oh yeah I send unsolicited explicit images to all my matches the people in the group could be like oh you're horrible yeah and then they can receive negative backlash I'm like mm. that's not really what my project's doing and I wasn't asking for things that they had sent mm-hmm. and right I found because Zach helped help moderate some of the focus groups I found that our participants once they got talking about it actually enjoyed talking about it for sure yeah they they yeah it was just the problem of actually getting them to start talking about it but yeah once they started talking like they'd be willing to give all kinds of examples so yeah the the weirdest part I think about doing this and being a female presenting and identifying person is the amount of times I'd get hit on during these photos mm. was a little without even seeing a picture of her or anything still getting hit on and stuff like that yeah wow <clears throat> just because that's what she studies and it seems appropriate given the context even though it's obviously not but yeah, people not understanding that you're doing this for an academic reason, not not personal. I don't know. Yeah. Whoever knows. <laughs> yeah, for whatever reason. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's yeah, that's been a really interesting thing. Um, let's kind of dive into the um into your dissertation a little bit more because I think that the listeners might find the typology that you've been working on pretty interesting. So from all the different examples you've collected you know hundreds of examples of 242 unique examples 242 unique examples of like sexually uh initiation messages that contain sexual content thank you thank you i always forget how to word it all right say that in regular person speak though pick up lines that are sexy there we go (laughs) pick up lines that contain some amount of sexual innuendo basically right? So 242 unique ones. Now, how were you able to boil that down into a typology? Like how many different types of those messages are there? I have, think? I have five types. Okay. So the first type is a compliment and it can range from, and again, I had my participants and I had, I think close to 40 participants for my focus groups. And it was actually a pretty interesting sample because it wasn't a convenient sample from college kids. It was actually wider than that. So I would ask them in the focus groups, like, well, if we had to categorize these, how would you categorize them? Da, 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 da. And I also explained because what is sexual, right? Or yeah. what is sex? There's, it's a very subjective term. Yep. And so I told them, whatever you think is sexual is sexual. <laughs> I gave them what I like. And I'm like, oh, it has anything to do with like talking about sex or hinting at sexual interest or wanting to, to engage in sexual activity with the person receiving the message. And they're like, okay. And so the first one category I have is compliment. And all of these categories, all five of them range from implicit to explicit. 
And so the compliment can be a more implicit one, like, hi, you're so cute, or I think you're beautiful versus an explicit would be like, hey, you got a great ass. <laughs> yep. Um, and these are actual examples of the messages. I Do you have that paper with you? You know, I do. I do have, have this paper with me. Let me dig into my backpack really <laughs> quick. Um, I actually printed this out to, for Zach because since he helped me on the project, I thought it'd be funny for uh, him to see it. Yep. As so, you're uh, digging that out, I think, you know, I would be interested to know the outcome of these pickup lines from the... Yeah. Yes, that is what I am working on. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna. Yeah, that's kind of like the next step. Yeah. Okay. And so then the next category was humor, and again, mm -hmm. implicit versus explicit. And implicit ones are: is are you a stove? Because you're hot. <laughs> Great. Um, versus, are you from Australia? Because I'd love to come in your land down under. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, so there can be there's a big range in the examples that's that people give, obviously. So this, this is making me very happy that I'm happily married, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're happy. Yeah, you should be happy that you weren't born in the uh in the age of dating, that's for sure. Absolutely. So then the next category is flirtation. And it's like, oh, I have a crush on you versus I can't wait to see what you taste like. <laughs> yep. And then we had interest in sex, which is pretty obvious um it goes from like emojis of like the water drops to what about a one night stand um let's, so very explicit too. yeah yeah this is the one that includes what most people think of when they think of these initiation measures the unsolicited explicit image or in like colloquial terms the dick pic mm -hmm. uh-huh and then the last category is harassment and i won't yeah. read examples from that one because it's they're pretty bad bad they're mm -hmm. not great um mm -hmm. So I developed those types and I got the typology through the focus groups and then doing an inductive thematic analysis and kind of going through. But while I was doing the focus groups and talking about those different types of messages, I also asked my participants, what do you think about the messages? How do they make you feel? How would you react? And so now I'm taking those impressions of the message and I'm also doing another thematic analysis there. And from that, and then like my own research and knowledge and like peer talking to my peers, especially people who have used online dating, I've developed items to build a scale. And in the scale, I have three latent constructs right now. I'm getting ready to launch the EFA, the exploratory factor analysis. We're using a lot of big terms here. We don't expect you to know yeah. all these. I will explain them. Yeah. Um, so the EFA is essentially making sure I'm measuring what I'm supposed to be measuring, mm -hmm. that it works right. And so with that, I'm getting at this interesting kind of like causal model. If we think someone's sincere and pro-social, we'll probably have higher message effectiveness, which means mm -hmm. the, react, the person receiving the message will respond in a good way. Versus if we think the person's not sincere, if they're antisocial and just trolling us or being mean, we'll probably have less message, overall message effectiveness mm -hmm. and we'll probably have, we'll block them, we'll ghost them, those kind yeah. of things. So that's essentially my dissertation in a nutshell. And then I'm also <laughs> going to try in the third study of it, do a confirmatory factor analysis, which is where you really double check your items and make sure everything's like nails. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also going to do some probably moderation or mediation analyses to kind of see how other personality factors or other factors can impact that relationship between the message and the outcomes. 
And so one of the things I'm really invested in too is there's a lot of different reasons why people use online dating. And the two I really like are they use it, I kind of break it down this way. They use it for finding, you know, that that soulmate, that that person they can marry and have the white picket fist dream versus that person they just want to hang out with for the night in a very physical manner. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of going to take the personality that are the motivations for use there and see if maybe if someone's just looking for that one night kind of thing, maybe they'll be more open to getting a nude. Ah. Or they might be more open to getting a much more explicit joke kind of message because mm-hmm. that's what they're using the app for versus right. a person who's looking for a long-term relationship. They'd probably like a more implicit, hi, you're beautiful kind of compliment. And then of course, gender, because there are gender norms embedded in all of this. And mm-hmm. we have that whole kind of script where women are supposed to be like the sexual gatekeepers Whereas that may not actually be a thing and we may feel more comfortable because the space and the asynchronicity of online communication may allow them to be more sexually free and express their desire to have a more singular casual experience. (laughs) Men who are supposed to, you know, just want quantity, who might actually want that long-term forever kind of love and may not really like getting a nude Mm -hmm. um, picture of a partner. And of course, sexuality will also come into it later, but I don't think I'll have time to do that in my dissertation. Yeah, yeah. Or like attractiveness of the of the yeah. sender too, right? Because it's like, well, you know, if the person's ugly, I might not like them sending me an explicit message. But uh, but hey, if they're good looking, all bets are off. Well, you know? it's, it's not even just physical attraction because that's actually a oh, study true. I'm trying to do now um, as a follow-up to another study I have. <laughs> I resubmit somewhere else, but the IRB again is not really liking it. <laughs> pilot study where I had people rate the attractiveness of these like stock photos from the London face lab. And I was going to use expectancy violations theory to kind of test it. And it's like, Oh, is this message unexpected? But because the person you think is really attractive, it's unexpected in a good way and you'll go for it. I call it like the 50 shades of gray phenomenon. (laughs) Cause Mm. you know, in that book and that series, he was super attractive and a billionaire and all this kind of stuff. And so the female character in that book was like, you know what? I'll do some weird stuff. He's not only physically attractive, he's socially attractive. He has wealth. Whereas if it was Chris Farley living in a van down by the river, mm-hmm. it'd be an episode of SVU, you know? <laughs> yep. Like he, she would have been like, no, thank you. Yeah. So I'm trying to bring that into my research as well. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. So there's obviously a really big this is a huge research area that is only growing. So it's, it's super interesting. Yeah. That you're kind of at the forefront of it now. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 When I first got interested in this topic, I was, the way I got into this is kind of a weird story. My best friend, Jessica, she and I were on our way to see our favorite comedian, Eliza Schlesinger. She and I bonded over that at the very beginning of our friendship. And I would take her to go see her pretty often like for her birthday or Christmas and we were driving to Chicago to go see her and all of a sudden Jessica's phone just started going like bing, 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 like going off like I thought it was gonna melt and I was like <laughs> what is going on is your family okay she's like oh yeah I signed up for plenty of fish and tinder and those are like messages I'm getting she's like open them up Let, tell me what people are saying and we'll, we'll talk about it so she had 16 messages nine of the 16 were dick pics oh 
and as someone who'd never used online dating and who is part of like the the asexual community i was flabbergasted i was like what is happening i was like we need to call the police what are we doing this is horrible she's like oh that's just part of being an online dating and the range of those type of pictures she got, not all of them were just the the front bits. She got some really interesting back shots too. <laughs> I, I, I was just like the whole week, like ruminating on this and thinking about it. And so then that Monday when I got back to work, I looked it up in the school, like the library database and Google Scholar. I was like, let me find articles about this. What, what, what kind of advice can I give her? What can I tell her? I think there was like four or five articles. Wow. And that was like 2018. Wow. So not even long ago. And I was like, okay, this is not good. And then I started talking to my, my faculty members at UMSL about it. And they're like, oh, this is really interesting. Da, 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 da. And I was like, can I study this? Hmm. And they're like, well, yeah, you can. It's going to be kind of hard. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I got into it. And for like one of my final projects in my last semester there, I wrote like a big research proposal that I actually turned into Purdue um, to get accepted here. Oh, okay. And so all of my faculty there jokingly called me that after I graduate, I was gonna be Dr. Dick Pick. Yep. We, we, <laughs> make, we make that same joke that she's Dr. Dick Pick. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Yep. And so, and even now, like when I research this and stuff, there's still not a whole lot of articles about it. And the ones I do find tend to be more qualitative and very um framing them all in a negative way, which yes a lot of times they are harassment and they're not good. And I don't want to tell people, yeah, go flash your junk to everybody you match with <laughs> on online dating. Not a great way to be. But I also think that it's very egotistical for me to think that everyone thinks that way. And mm -hmm. so I like to say that I don't want to yuck anyone's yum as long as it's between two consenting adults. And so that's another avenue of my research that I'm also trying to do in figuring out how to protect people who don't want these kind of messages and figuring out some kind of like crypto language or semantic um, kind of like signal to let people know I'm okay with getting these messages. I like these messages. Cause I did another project where I did an inductive thematic analysis of tweets concerning dick pics. And there are some people who like them. And so it would be unfair to take that away from them if that's how they express their sexuality and, and also usually garner some self-esteem, but we also don't want to sexually harass people. That's, that's horrible. Mm. And so I'm in this weird kind of like middle thing where people sometimes think that I like dick pics and I'm like, no, I <laughs> do not like them. They are not. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was thinking it's like, it's so weird because just because you're on a dating app doesn't mean you want a dick pic. Well, yeah. no. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, I mean, and obviously these guys were jumping to that conclusion. So yeah. why is it that they jumped to that conclusion? Right, exactly. And where are the safeguards for people who don't want that? Yeah, um, some dating apps, I think Tinder and Hinge now and Bumble don't allow you to send pictures. Yeah, I think that's true. In the app. But once you give them your cell phone number and move mm -hmm. off the app, you can get them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think also dating apps now are, are like, if they detect some kind of like possibly unsavory language in in like especially like your first message yeah. it'll like prompt you it'll be like are you sure you want to send this <laughs> you know uh, uh, so that's pretty interesting too but the people who 
are going to send it they're gonna be like yeah yeah I yeah exactly yeah 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 that's not gonna do anything to stop the people who actually want to send it you know yeah. what i mean no because so i don't think you accidentally type out that no. kind of message no <laughs> no now, i have found sometimes people will send nudes and be like oh sorry i didn't mean to send that or i didn't realize that was in the picture um and that's an interesting avenue too in trying to figure out if it is accidental versus not accidental because now i think in texas it's illegal they've just developed some legislator legislation around it to where you can be prosecuted for for like almost like cyber flashing because that's what it is essentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so yeah, that's that's a really interesting debate that's probably going to be had a lot over the next like decade or so. Yeah. Yeah, is like legally what is this? Yeah, and how do we handle it? And how can you know for sure that yeah. it wasn't that they didn't consent to to having this center or who knows, you know? Yeah, and it, it, and then a lot of the times too and I've talked about um in the Twitter piece I did as well, women who get these messages often feel sexually harassed which they should it's sexual harassment if you don't want these messages and you get them and so they try to take and like get justice for themselves and like get revenge on the senders but then sometimes that really backfires on the women um for one example they can get doxxed because when i first came here the grad director who put his head in his hands when i talked to him about that project <laughs> same guy <laughs> i was talking to him about these kinds of things and and like my friends now who know that I do this work they send them to me and I would go onto Facebook with names and stuff and I would find the sender's mom or or wife or grandma someone and I would send them the message and be like hey just so you know so and so in your life sent this if it was their mom I'd usually say like oh didn't you raise them better than this (laughs) (laughs) um and I got doxxed a couple of times. Um, and so he told me, he was like, this is very dangerous. Can you please stop your dick pic vigilante work? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I guess. And so that can happen. And then also, if you share those pictures around, even though the dating apps say you have to be over a certain age to be on the dating app, you don't always necessarily have to. Mm-hmm. And so if a woman's sharing this around and the sender was underage, the woman that is actually committing a felony by sending around not good pictures of a minor. Wow. So there's a, an insane amount of gray area and it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and that's why I like doing this work because I think it's really important, even though sometimes it does get giggles and, and I do relish every now and then being able to laugh at my work, but I think there needs to be protections for people and they shouldn't have to try and take justice into their own hands. Mm -hmm. And then groups who do use this as a communication and who do want this kind of communication, there should be something for them too, so they can express their sexuality, but in a way that it doesn't hurt others. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, listening to you, one thing that occurs to me is you're never going to run out of work. (laughs) (laughs) No, I have a bunch of ideas for stuff into this and like other like side projects. And I think, I think NCA, not this past year, but the year before it was the very first panel I'd ever seen where they had like a sex comp panel. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think it's a developing area in the mm -hmm. field that we need more of because no offense to anyone. And again, I'm part of the asexual community. I don't really understand this stuff. Like most people understand it, but I think a lot of our public education does a disservice and doesn't teach appropriate sex ed to, to adolescents and emerging adults. And so we don't really ever have the language to talk about it in a healthy way. The only way we see it is usually through pornography and most pornography is not good and it's not real. But if that's your only exposure to this, you do think it is real. Mm -hmm. And that's creating some, some not great environments, especially for women or, or trans people. And so I, I really hope to kind of help with those kinds of things and bring some like social equity into it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you mentioned that, you know, it's really not, you know, our education around this stuff is really bad. As an academic, what do you suggest to people for educating themselves or their children? Um, this is going to raise some eyebrows. <laughs> so as I said, I worked in early childhood education. I was actually a preschool teacher. And I think it's very important that we talk to children, even at young ages, about these kinds of things. Now, that doesn't mean you're telling a preschool age children certain areas of it, but they should know the words for um, their body because it didn't happen to me, thankfully, but I know someone who had a student who kept saying like, oh, so-and-so is touching my cookie. Mm -hmm. And when you hear that, you just think like, oh, I'll give you a new cookie. It's okay. But that's not what was happening. They were using that as like a cutesy word for mm -hmm. their vagina. And it was a preschool student. Oh. And so I think it's very important that we give people the vocabulary, even at a young age, so they can help protect themselves and let us know if something's going wrong. And to have not just like abstinent-based sex ed and, and those kinds of things. And I would think that we should have a, in our interpersonal classes, we teach at the collegiate level, we should have a section in there about sexual communication and how to have these conversations with your intimate partners, mm -hmm. not only for like sexual fulfillment, but also for sexual safety. And like, mm -hmm. I, once again, because I'm weird, I have no problem if I had a partner to being like, hey, um, before we are intimate, I'm going to need you to go get an STI panel and I'm going to need <laughs> to see that paperwork, <laughs> you know, but like, I study this, I'm getting a PhD in it, so I'm comfortable with it, but a lot of people aren't comfortable with it and it's embarrassing and it's nerve wracking to have these conversations. But it's just like any other kind of conversation. Like, well, do you like crunchy peanut butter or smooth peanut butter? We should have more comfort in this topic because it's such a big part of most people's lives, but we don't ever learn how to talk about it in a comfortable, not- Icky way. Icky way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like I think- I think your point about, yeah, educating kids is especially important because, yeah, like most kids are going to talk about their private parts and, you know, not talking about actual anatomy, you know, yeah. people say PP instead of penis and all this other kind of stuff. Right. So, yeah, it's really important that we start learning how to actually label these things, especially for young kids so that they can actually talk about it, uh, but also just like making it more. Um, I mean, it's going to take a long time to get people to be more comfortable talking about that kind of stuff, but. Yeah, it's going to need to happen. There's a lot of shame built into it. Oh, of course. Mm -hmm. 
Well, yeah, especially for, for women too. Right. I mean, you know, women aren't supposed to feel like they're supposed to enjoy sex traditionally and stuff like this. So. Yeah. And, and coming from, I come from the South and I grew up in the church. There's a lot of like purity culture that I had to like unlearn and deconstruct from. And so that's something also too, and, and not to get political, but this is something that people do. We need to be realistic about it and not kind of like hide from the real world. Well, and you know, while well, well saying that about not hiding from the real world, what are your suggestions for somebody who is entering the online dating world for the first time? <laughs> I think it depends. Um, if it's a female presenting individual, I would tell them to be very careful. Red flags are going to become even bigger as the relationship goes on. They may be cute at first, <laughs> but after that 12 month to 16 month, like honeymoon period, they're going to be much worse. And people it's, you can't change everybody. And if you're going to go on a date and meet face to face, don't hesitate to take pictures of a license plate, uh, tell people where you're going, the name of the person you're going with all those kinds of things mm-hmm. for my male presenting folks to to not get disheartened because I know there's a lot of inequity there too and male presenting individuals have a harder time on online dating and so just it's not anything about you it's not your self-esteem like don't let it impact your self-esteem take breaks from it if you need to and really like talk to your if you don't have a lot of experience with women, talk to women, see what they like, help them jazz up their your dating profile, those kinds of things. And also be very respectful of women. And if a woman's taking a picture of your license plate, it's not a personal indictment about you. <laughs> just, you know, safety. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think those are some some really good tips. Yeah. And and I think yeah, for for guys, it's yeah, don't get discouraged and don't be creepy, right? Yeah. Those are kind of like the the two the two rules you know like don't be discouraged if not that many people are talking to you you're not that not getting that many matches because guess what most other guys aren't either yeah. so that's not just you and then yeah don't be a creep to the people that you do match with yeah and I know like my weightlifting coach he asked me why he's like why do you do you want to do this why are you a feminist he asked me that explicitly and I was like well how many times when you leave your house at night do you worry about getting to your car? And he was like, Oh, I don't think about that at all. And I was like, and I was like, um, I do. And that's when I was like heavily into weightlifting. And like, I was picking up like 300 pounds and I'm, I'm tall. I'm, I'm almost six feet tall. I've played sports my whole life. I did kickboxing, all these kinds of things. And I was like, I still am concerned about that and worry about that. And it's, it's so funny. Cause like here, even, um, my favorite running trail here is literally just this trail out in the middle of the woods next to the river. I've taken Zach there before. Yeah. It's, it's very remote, very remote. And so when I leave, I will text someone I'm running at such such trail. This is what mm-hmm. I'm wearing. And I will describe my full outfit. Sometimes I'll send a picture and then I go for my run. I make sure I only have one headphone in all those kinds of things. Yep. And, and I, I've had a little bit of trouble here in the area one time when I was running um and you know and that's me like I'm big I'm older 
you, you know, could drop kick about any guy and, <laughs> and you're still worried about it. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. And, and so, and no offense to, to, to men, I don't dislike men. Um, but a lot of times they don't see it that way. They don't have the right. perspective. And, and like it goes, they, back, don't, they don't have that learned experience, that lived experience that women do. Yeah, exactly. It's like going back to me to group theory, like the term sexual harassment wasn't invented until the, the mid seventies. Yeah. Kate McKinnon, right. Was yeah. that her name? Yeah. And or what was Sherry McCrimmery? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I just butchered her name. But I always try. <laughs> um, but before that, we didn't. Since men tend to be the language makers, they don't tend to get sexually harassed. Like this past last week in my class, I was teaching group theory, and I asked my class, "How many of you have been catcalled?" All of my female presenting students raised their hand. Not a one of my male presenting students, and that's fifty people. I mean, not a huge amount, but I'm pretty sure if we polled, it'd be pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they just don't always think about it. And so I told my weightlifting coach, cause he was a gigantic man, sweetest person ever, big old teddy bear. Great. I was like, when you go for a walk at night and there's a woman in front of you, slow down, <laughs> don't get too close to her. If you can cross the street, cause I can tell you, even if she doesn't act like it, she's now thinking like, oh no, what is going to happen? And she's thinking all the ways she can protect herself. What's going to happen? She's probably calling her friends. And he's like, oh, I didn't really even think about that. Cause he was also a bouncer at night. So he did walk around at night a lot uh, in St. Louis. And so I was just kind of bringing that up and kind of like having people realize things like that in different experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a really uh, good way for us to kind of uh, summarize this whole talk. I think this has been really interesting. Uh, I, I hope it's been interesting and enjoyable for the listeners as well but do you have any final uh, questions for amanda mom i'd say um, i i think you mentioned what you what you're um want to move on to next um but can you reiterate that and tell us why you want to study that and what do you think might come out of it yes i want to figure out what people think of these messages used in online dating I don't want to do that for two reasons. One, a practical, helpful reason. I want online daters to have more success. Research shows that if we have good, healthy, personal, romantic relationships, we tend to be happier, healthier people, both mentally and physically. So I'd really like for people to experience that and be happy in whatever way they want to be happy. Again, as long as it's two consenting adults. And then I also would really like to work with either like legislators, or even apps themselves to figure out ways to make places safer for people while also allowing people who like this kind of behavior to engage in. Mm -hmm. But my biggest kind of thing is I, I want to make the internet a safer place where people can be protected from this kind of behavior if that's not for them. I love that because this is going nowhere. So what can we do to make it better? Yeah. Yep. And just saying someone's going to get arrested for it. It's still even in like it's still hard because it's very mm -hmm. easy to use a fake name, mm -hmm. all those kinds of things. So, yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you all for having me. This has been fun. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Amanda. And congrats again on uh, starting up a, an assistant professor job in the fall at Utah. Yay. That's going to be exciting. Yes. I'm very excited. That's a great, I really like the department there and it's, it's a great group of people. So, yeah. 
I guess before we go, I have one final question. We usually end up asking our um, guests one communication tip that you want to share with the audience. And you've given a lot of tips, obviously. Right, right. But I always think, oh man, one, ah, my biggest one. If you're having a conflict with someone that you care about, listen and don't yell. Don't call people names. Conflict happens in every relationship and conflict is important. You don't want to avoid all conflict. But remember, you like the other person you're having conflict with and be respectful and be kind. And you'll be amazed at how much easier it is to resolve conflict and to have healthier relationships. Mm -hmm. The whole reason I, I love talking about conflict in class, because it's something that so many people are uncomfortable with, but it is mm -hmm. completely necessary to have any healthy relationship in your life. It doesn't matter what relationship it is. It could be a friend, significant other with your parents, with your siblings, whoever, like you you need to be able to work through that conflict because if you keep just saying like, oh no, let's drop it and stuff. Yeah. That's not, then you have resentment. Uh-huh. Yep. You're just going to resent that. Yeah. So yeah. And, and, and we often don't know how to, again, it's like talking about sex. We often don't know how to learn healthy conflict because a lot of people don't have healthy conflict and I can, I'll throw my parents underneath the bus. Um, my parents would yell and scream, throw things at each other, slam doors, all kinds of stuff. And I don't want to say, I don't know if it's lucky or not, but um, I knew that's not what I wanted to do. <laughs> and so I'm very cautious in how I approach conflict. I'm always like, okay, well, you did this and upset me. Here's why it upset me. Can you explain to me your thought pattern behind it? And, you know, I'll get a, an explanation. We can just sit down and have a conversation about it. And then everyone gets to air grievances and we work through it. And I apologize if I'm the asshole mm -hmm. and things get better. Yeah. Like even just a couple of days ago, like I felt like I might've made, made you mad in some way. And I actually, I texted you like an hour later, I was like, Hey, I'm sorry if I made you angry. And then you were like, no, you didn't. <laughs> I was like, okay, good. I was like, I was, I was like, if you ever upset me, I would just come to like, hey, that that kind of made me a little uncomfortable. Here's why. Because <laughs> I hate that. Because I'm not only in my asexual, I'm also autistic, <laughs> and so sometimes I struggle with communication and understanding. And I hate it when people are mad at me and then they don't tell me, and uh -huh. I like can kind of sense something's off, but can't quite figure it out. Yeah. So. Awesome. Great tip. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Amanda, for joining us. It's been a really interesting conversation. Thanks, Amanda. It was great to meet you. Yep. Great to meet you too. All right. Thanks.